Well, we are in the midst of our new podcast, Climate Change Behind the Numbers. By the way, I'm Johannes Jütting. I'm with Paris 21, like Sasha Ramirez. And as we said, we have one number. Have you heard about 35 trillion US dollars? Oh, I can certainly tell you it's not my bank balance, but I, I wonder what that number is. Well, we shall find out. We have our special guest, Sori Kapoor, who actually will speak about greenwashing and ESG investment. Greenwashing, that's a big topic. And I know there's, the OECD is doing a lot of work on that these days. Yeah, and it's also relevant even for our own investments. I recently was getting contacted by my bank to change my investments to uh, help with the decarbonization of the economy. So, but is it really true? I mean, would true. that things change or is it just labeling, putting different labels? Well, excited to hear from Sony on the topic. I think it'll be an interesting talk. We are delighted to have Sony Kapoor with us for this episode. Uh, hello, Sony. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. And I heard you had a sunny weekend in Paris. Absolutely great. I think we just talked about it. It was just 15 degrees, not 35 as in Delhi. But let me just introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, Sony Kapoor is the CEO of the Nordic Institute for Finance, Technology and Sustainability. And he is also professor for climate, geoeconomics, and finance at the European University. I hope, Sonia, I got that right. Thank you. Yes, that, no, that's right. I'm looking forward to this. So as we said in the outset of our podcast, we asked our guests to bring one number. And Sony chose the number of $35 trillion. Sony, why is this number? What does it tell us? Over the past two years in particular, the word sustainability has got banded around left, right, and center, and it's become the most fashionable themes in international finance as well as global economics discussions. And within that is a category of ESG, environmental, social, and governance-related themes and investing, and every day one wakes up to a new headline of a dramatically larger number being committed towards either responsible investing or ESG investing or sustainable investing or net zero investing. And they are all variations of a certain theme. And the theme goes roughly as follows, that given fiscal constraints, given the levels of indebtedness in the world today, most of the investments needed to put the world, the global economy, on a sustainable path, either narrowly defined in the context of, let's say, one and a half or two degrees relating to climate change, or more broadly defined, including issues of social sustainability, tackling inequality, deforestation, biodiversity loss, ocean acidification, etc. that the private sector will need to carry the majority of the burden. And even within the private sector, it is the financial sector that is going to drive investment in putting the global economy on a sustainable path. And the reason the private sector is sort of, you know, given this main leading role 
is because governments are not seen to have enough fiscal capacity left, given that we are at a record level of indebtedness in the world. And also that somehow the private sector is seen to be more dynamic and quicker and coming up with new solutions. And the second reason that is banded about is because there's more than $200 trillion of assets, financial assets in the world. House prices are at a record level. Stock markets, despite the recent volatility, are at a near record level historically. And most asset prices have, over the past 15 years or so since Lehman Brothers, just risen and risen and risen. So there is supposed to be this very large stock of investment possibilities. And these take the forms of either high net worth individuals, rich people with a lot of money, and most importantly, large sovereign wealth funds and pension funds. And there is there are several outfits out there that every year come up with a new number of what a large and rising proportion of these private investments are now dedicated and invested in line with sustainable themes. And that is why I picked this number. The latest big number to come out from last year was that of this hundreds of trillions of dollars of assets, $35 trillion and rising dramatically are dedicated to sustainable investing. And of course, commonly understood, that makes people think, oh, wow, that's a lot of money being targeted towards tackling poverty, sustainable development goals, inequality, deforestation, climate change, and whatever your favorite sustainability theme is, except that this is absolutely not the case. And that is why I picked that number. Thanks. That's, that's really interesting. What I don't understand is why the private sector would invest in ESG, where it's often more profitable, especially now amidst oil, rising oil prices, for example. What's the thinking underlying this? Absolutely. So there's two origin stories for ESG. One comes out of the, let's call it the socially responsible investing background. And that came mostly out of religious affiliated, religious institution affiliated pension funds. They said, we cannot invest any of our money in the so-called sin stocks, for example, pornography, alcohol, and tobacco. And of course, over the years, that idea of what is a sin stock has been broadened to, for many communities, also include stocks from companies that are polluting the environment, that are contributing to climate change. So that's one part of it, where the idea was profitability is a secondary consideration. And the second more recent origin has been that the world community has signed up to climate goals in general. And of course, you know, if you take the long view, the idea is by 2050, oil, gas, and coal will be dramatically less important in the global economy. You realize that these companies that are engaged in fossil fuels, they do not have a promising future. And the writing is on the wall. And hence, it is risky to invest in it because if the financial sector sees the end of the road is in 2050, it is already reflected in pricing in 2040 and 2030 and 2020. 
And ESG is seen to be a way of reducing financial risk. There's a lot of debate now about greenwashing. How do you relate to this? Greenwashing is so pernicious that if I were to pick a number out of thin air, I would say of this $35 trillion, more than $30 trillion is nothing but greenwashing. Now, we did a study for the European Commission last year where we showed that of the more than trillion dollars green bonds that have been issued so far, only 3% can be shown to have contributed to bending the climate curve. And all these investors can now go around waving this thing, hey, look, we are green. You know, We have bought so many green bonds. And the question is, is the world on a faster trajectory to tackle climate change because these green bonds have been issued? Because that is the only question that matters. And the answer is no. In 97% of the cases, no. Obviously, a, a pretty skeptical picture that you paint of uh, ESG. Is there any reason to be hopeful? I mean, what, what, you know, what would it take to actually make uh, ESG live up to the promise, basically? Is standards, is it a question of certification, of, of parency? What is it? The really short answer is nothing. ESG has been oversold and overpromised to an extent that there is nothing can be that can be done in the real world. Let's say, you know, I sit down with a blank sheet of paper and I say, hey, guys, you know, why don't we set out which environmental indicators, statistical measures do we care about, right? So you say, okay, well, I'm going to see carbon emissions footprint. Am I, is my business model or my product contributing to ocean acidification? One can easily sit down and come up with 20, if not more, reasonable, scientifically defensible measures of environmental sustainability. Now you say, okay, well, this is very good. So you write them down. Then you say, okay, what about social? What is the pay inequality in this company, right? I mean, if the CEO is paid 1,000 times the worker, I mean, you know, that's not very good. Somebody would say gender equality is the single most important thing, right? I mean, is there a gender equal workforce? So anyway, so, so the point is very reasonable, well-intentioned, well-meaning people can come up with, in this case, not 20, but maybe 50 different statistical measures that fall within the broader category of social sustainability and social variables that one wants to care about, right? And this leads to the following question. Well, one is how do we measure them, okay? Uh, which, which you guys know much more about than I do. Of course, in many cases, you know, measuring many of these is very, very tricky. And, and in some cases, there isn't an agreement. Uh, how do you define inequality? How do you define gender equality, right? I mean, many of them can have several different indicators which, which don't always agree. Again, reasonable people will attach different weights to each of these measures, and that's just within one field of environment, right? And, and therein lies the problem. So you are taking apples and oranges and pears and bananas and cars and scooters and toys and putting them all with some random weights in some random index where no two people can agree and putting it into a single number ESG score. And therein lies the problem.
But I really like what you were saying in terms of the process and starting a conversation. How could we, as well-intended community, push pressure on this industry, on the climate finance industry, to go more into the direction that you were saying is more promising on the long haul? Absolutely. So, so there's two parts to this. One is recognizing that in the near term, it is not just possible, but even likely that there will be a trade-off between sustainability and profitability. So that's part one. And, and the second part to that is, and because of that, recognizing that we need a far greater number of professionals involved in the engagement and the governance process. But there's hardly anyone. There's out of 100 people, there's only two people sitting in corporate governance and engagement. And of those people investing in you know, the 100 companies, they basically get you know, two hours of FaceTime with the board of that company every year, right? Now, how much can you realistically accomplish in two hours every year? And the answer is not very much. So recognizing which actors are putting serious capacity, personnel, and you know, resources in the engagement process. And that is you know, the, the, the least noisy signal for intent and to drive change in the future. And the second part to, to this is that 80% or so of biodiversity loss, ocean acidification, and new carbon emissions, et cetera, any environment, you know, aspects of environmental destruction between now and 2050 is going to likely arise from actions taken or not taken in developing an emerging economy. So without large, substantial new investments going into renewable energy, going into forest restoration, et cetera, in developing and emerging economies over the next 30 years, we are all screwed and we would all have missed out on all environmental goals. Because without that large reallocation towards these countries, there is nothing that one can do in investing in Europe that will help us deliver on these goals, right? So that, to my mind, is the single most important thing. It is impossible for the financial system to be investing sustainability without being largely biased in the direction of new investments going primarily to developing and emerging economies. And in fact, it can get worse. So you would expect poorer economies will on average have poorer labor standards, right? They will have less social care. They will have worse governance indicators, more corruption. And in most cases, environmental standards in Bangladesh will be less tough than in the EU, right? So on average, companies and countries in the developing and the emerging world will have lower ESG scores. So if you blindly apply an ESG filter to something as simple and widely used as the MSCI Global Equity Index, the relative weight of developing and emerging economies instantly falls by about 20% or so. That's another reason I'm critical of the ESG industry, that 
most of these cases, this is being applied blindly, which means that rather than ESG contributing to new investments necessary to reboot the world economy in a sustainable path, they might actually slow down the sustainable transition and even make things worse. So badly done ESG investments not only are not sustainable, but actually contribute to delaying the green transition. Sony, it was great talking to you. What I learned is a couple of things. First of all, picking this 35 trillion number, which you deconstructed for us in this conversation, was extremely interesting. And I also have to say I learned a lot. Uh, I'm now more skeptical than I was before. But it was also good to hear from you that you were projecting us into a, a way of future of thinking what can be done. So thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. And wishing you all the best. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to seeing you again. 